I, I haven't got time to mark this motherfucker. Here we go again. We can't hear anybody. Nobody can talk to anybody. You guessed it, Pressure Points, with your two favorite hosts, Sam D, and this is Mark Lover AJ. We're coming at you with Season 6, Episode 17, Irish Schindler Girl Boss. AJ's on an anti-Nazi terrorist, so strap in and find us for additional content on Patreon and Instagram at Points of Pressure. Let's get to it, cutie pies. Well, turn the fucking thing off, you dumbass. Well, is it better that I'm on an anti-Nazi terrain and not a pro-Nazi terrain? <laughs> I, I didn't say it was a problem. Okay. Right. I, I dig it. But, uh, all right, so I got to start off by apologizing. You can probably hear that my voice is different, maybe a little stuffed. I can hear it. Yeah, a little bit. You, you'll, it'll pick up. Uh, I have to keep drinking, and I'll try to cough outside of the mic, but once a year, right when spring starts <laughs> to show up, I, there's a week goes by where I feel like I have a sinus infection, but I went to the doctor the two last two years, and they were like, no, you just have really bad allergies, and they just go away. I'm Damn. Like, Fuck. So I got no spray that I don't use. You got to get I, that I fucking... I got a Benadryl on, on board right now. Got that Benadryl. You know we got that Benny on him. Oh, yeah. I keep that motherfucking thing on me. <laughs> but I, I got to keep drinking because my throat gets so dry. Oh, my God. But this is a fun episode. Yeah. Also, earliest ever recorded episode. Honestly, I... I think that might be true. Yeah, it's it's one forty two p.m. <laughs> Usually we're recording closer to one forty two a.m. Dude, I slept until fucking almost three yesterday. God damn! I was so I got so fucked up on Friday. Hell though, yeah! Yeah, Cinco de Mayo. Yep, it's a good old time. Hell yeah! Some good drinks, played some good games. Oh yeah, a grand old time. How was your week? Welcome back. Uh, busy. Busy, busy at work. School's about to start up. In oh, fact, yeah. this Thursday, I'm back, back at it. R.I.P. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be so much fun. You got this. At least the first half of the semester, I don't have any clinicals. So. Yeah. And then the last half, it's only clinicals. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. So that'll be fun, but it, it shouldn't be too bad. You're almost there. You're I'm almost, almost there. Two more semesters. Fucking there, as long as I don't man. fuck up this semester. Yeah. Two more semesters. Ah, you'll be fine. I think so. You I think I'll this. do okay. Um, but yeah, everything's good. How about you? Anything fun? Yeah, nothing too crazy. Just took it easy. Just, just yeah. chilled. Yeah, nothing, nice. nothing exciting. Just the the usual. Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> dang, we bullshitted for three minutes. That <laughs> that is a, <laughs> a new low. Yeah. Low. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. I I figure let's just get into it. Let's get this. Uh, yeah. This going because this is a fun story. I told you about this website. I think it was on the exclusive for last month. I told mm-hmm. you about this website that has all sorts of cool shit. So that's just going to be all my episodes for a little bit. So I'm going to be talking about Mary Elmes. Elmes, Elms, E L M E S. I guess it depends on where she's from. Ireland. Elmas. Elmas. All right, cool. I would say Elmas, but <laughs> if she were from like Spain, I'd be well, like, oh yeah, Elmes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So Mary was born May fifth, nineteen oh eight, in Cork, which Cork? Cork, Cork, Ireland. Like C or with a Q? C. Cork, Cork, Ireland. I love it. Her dad was a chemist. We should go back to calling pharmacists chemists. That sounds so much cooler. I fuck with it. That's cool. A Cork chemist. Yeah, and uh, she had one brother. 
who later became a chemist. But she went to uh, Rochelle School, and then in 1928, she went to Trinity College. So she's an educated lady. Ooh, fancy. You know, as Get it, a, Mary. as good a life as you can growing up during World War One, Being Irish. And being Irish <laughs> in Ireland with the UK or with, uh, like, England right there. But she got a degree in French and Spanish modern literature. Oh. Okay, so she's oh, kind yeah. of a... She's kind of going that scholar route, you know, mm-hmm. maybe being a professor or whatever. And in 1935, she got a scholarship to continue studying in Geneva, Switzerland, which is awesome unless you know what happens four years later that causes <laughs> Geneva, Switzerland to be in the middle of a neutral, oh, you know, grand. war zone. I know we can't drink at the same time. <laughs> what a great opportunity oh, yeah. for her. Damn. You know what I was just thinking about? What's so that? her major itself. Like, yeah. Those majors, I feel like, are such a standard thing before, like, boomers showed up and were like, oh, yeah, your worthless fucking degree in English and art. Yeah. Exactly. It went from, like, this really creative, like, amazing, like... It went from... Literature time to just, like, engineering. Yeah, that's (laughs) exactly it. it. It's like, fuck, man. Yeah, like the path that she's on to become a, to be a scholar, to work at other universities, to give lectures, to teach, and to like teach different languages and all this stuff. That was a huge deal pre-boomers. You're totally right. And not to shame anybody that has an engineering degree. No, no, that's that's definitely essential. I mean, any degree is better than the degree that I don't have. Uh, But it's just so funny to me because like- Whenever we talk about people, like, basically pre-1960, it's always just, like, these really elaborate degrees, and then now it's just straightforward, like, ticky-tack. So instead of going to school, she didn't take the scholarship. She instead went to Spain in 1937, which is in the midst of the Spanish Civil War, and she joined an ambulance unit at a children's hospital in Almeria. Damn, okay. So she's like, all right, yeah, I, I could do all this scholarly shit, but I'm going to go help kids. You know, felt better for her. I think she made the right choice uh, based on the rest of this story. But... <laughs> the fact that we're talking about her today, yeah. she probably made some right choices. Oh, yeah. So 1939, she starts working with the American Friends Service Committee, which is a Quaker organization. Okay. The Quakers, I don't know if anybody knows this. I don't know a ton about them. Except that they are, they're pretty religious fundamentalists, right? Are they Christian? Um, I think they they might be. I, think, I don't know. I don't know. Let me look it up. Yeah, but but they're pretty fundamental. A lot of them are very like old school, if that makes sense. But the yeah, good like thing, uh, almost, like, almost like, like a um, step like a step closer to uh, like modern times Mennonites than, or something. Yeah, a step closer to modern times than Amish. Yeah, the the Quakers <laughs> were the first like major religious group to come over into the United States ever. Like, you know, they founded a lot of the shit here because they were so extreme they kind of got kicked out. <laughs> Historically Protestant Christian. Okay, perfect. But uh, the the thing that they, that really holds over to, to today is their focus and emphasis on helping children. They run children's hospitals. I'm pretty sure they, they run a ton of organizations. They do a lot for kids. So I can talk shit on the religion all the time and as much as I can and I will but the fact that they're helping kids is awesome I can Uh, at least say that just on Wikipedia it says that there are non-theist Quakers whose spiritual practice does not rely on the existence of God 
Oh, there are some? That's cool. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> so she starts working for this, and they actually appoint her to run a children's hospital that they're building in oh, Spain. Oh, wow. Damn. For these refugee children and children of the war. Yeah, and of course it goes to fucking Spain after I after I talk about Spain. Yep. Now now instead now it's Elmez. <laughs> now it's Elmez, yeah. Now a few months later, World War II officially breaks out and Mary's evacuated to France because they're like, Oh, she'll be safe in France. Yeah. She'll be fine. It's she'll fine. be fine. She'll it's be just fine. World War Two. It's not France will hold their own. Yeah, they'll be fine. And in, you know, 1940, the Nazis invade France. It uh, was not it fine. It was not fine. <laughs> and a lot of people flee into southern France because southern France is a little bit more loosey-goosey with the rules, you yeah. know? Yeah. And she, she works with the, the American, uh, what was it, the American Friends Service Committee continually through this time period to start taking in and caring for refugee children. And she was a smart lady, like... She was very well educated, and she is an extremely smart woman. She starts to see what's happening with the Jewish people, and even though she doesn't know about the gassing and how bad it is, she knows something's going on. Yeah. And she immediately starts uh, just stepping in and caring for people as much as she can. Good. Even just hiding people, hiding uh, Jewish children mostly. And in 1942, the Vichy government, which was the French-Nazi collaboration government, removed the final remaining protection of Jewish children. Because up to that point, in that area of France, Jewish children couldn't be deported to concentration camps. They could be deported oh, if really? back to a country and then sent to those camps, but they couldn't be directly I sent see. out. So the, the Vichy government was like, ah, never mind, you can take the kids. And that's when things <laughs> go into full gear. And she realizes, oh, shit, like... They're just going to take these kids, and her her theory was they're just going to work them to death and starve them, which is yeah. 90, 80% true. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So she starts to work with a lot a lot of the, the basically coworkers, the colleagues from the different committees that she was working in. She starts working with them and making these connections to underground resistance groups like the French Resistance. Oh, damn. Okay. And... They, they start moving kids. They start hiding kids. They start getting fake documents. And she's just, like, ballsy. She doesn't give a shit. She's just, you know, walking down the street, going to see the French Resistance, and then going to go over <laughs> here to this ho- children's hospital and figure out how to smuggle them and get them together into oh, almost I an see. underground railroad-esque system to get them out of the country. She's just digging the tunnel by hand. She is. Like, I seriously, she she is doing so much. Like, not to diminish everybody else's hand in this, but she did so much to kind of connect yeah. kids to the resistance. Yeah. She was very much a bridge. And she would gather fake documents, and she would also work with smugglers. Like, uh, a lot of there are a lot of people through this time period who were conventionally just smuggling shit because of the war. Mm-hmm. You know, black marketers and shit. But she would also convince them to take kids out of the country. Oh, so shit. like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Like, whatever. I mean, I'm it's also a solid make connection to yeah. make, yeah. And, you know, they're bringing false documents. They can also bring in supplies and shit like that. So smugglers were totally essential to these underground networks. That's cool. Which is a really cool idea. Um, but she personally was like, I, I got to do more. She starts throwing kids into her trunk and driving them to the Pyrenees Mountains. 
She has like, a fucking exhaust leak and she yeah. gasses him. She gasses him. Fuck! Oh, no. Shit! <laughs> what have I done? That's exactly what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> she just turns herself in. I'm one of them. I fucked up. Yeah, she starts just sick hailing. <laughs> no, but they, uh, yeah, so she, she'll just throw kids in her trunk and drive across France. Damn. Which, you know. Normally sounds fucked up, but in this situation. In this situation, is, it's a great thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. So she would meet contacts in the Pyrenees Mountains, and then they would get them smuggled out of the country, or they would get them to hidden locations and basically ship them around until they could get out. Damn. And keep them hidden the whole time. And it's crazy. So now we're going to take a, a brief sidetrack. She's doing all this girl boss shit. And we're going to talk about Lois Gundon. Lois Gundon. Um, she, on her own, she could be an entire episode. Yeah? Because she's wow. also a badass. <laughs> but she fits so perfectly in right we'll, here. We'll come back to it in uh, two no, seasons. No, this will be perfect. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> No, she she was a Mennonite, not a conservative Mennonite, so she didn't like dress up and shit. But she she was a Mennonite who got a master's degree in French, and she became a teaching professor. Again, yeah. super yeah. smart lady, and she got this before 1941 because in 1941 she quit being a professor. She boarded a ship bound for Portugal, and then she traveled overland with another Mennonite woman through war torn. Just, you know, post-Spanish uh, Civil War Spain into France, where she works for a Mennonite Child's Rescue and the American Friends Service Committee or whatever it was. Okay. So she's working for the same groups that, that uh, Mary's working for. Yeah, she's kind of on the same track. Yeah, so what she does, her idea is, I'm going to make an orphanage for refugees because oh, then I can okay. take in Jewish children and hide them as refugees. Yeah. Of the Spanish Civil War exactly. or the World War or the War in Europe at this time, and she specifically, this is how smart she was. She she set up her orphanage twelve miles from a place called Camp de Rivasaltes, which was a children internment camp in France. Damn, specifically for refugee kids. That's a huge like I. It's crazy looking at stuff like this, especially in retrospect. It's like. You hear, oh, yeah, they set up, like, an orphanage 12 miles from this, like, child internment camp. And it's, like, at the time, it was probably, like, bro, they raid this place. They just got, like, 300 new fucking kids. Like, goddamn, that's way too close. But at the same time, those big risks are why we're talking about these people. Yeah. It's crazy when you hear shit time, like that. like. Like yeah. you think about you're you're helping her set everything up, and she's like, "Yeah, we're gonna set up in this building." And you're like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Why don't we go sixty miles away?" And it's like, because it's easier to get kids twelve miles than sixty. Yeah, but she she worked a lot with parents whose kids were in the camp. Yeah, and Damn. then she would go to the camp and say to the Nazis, and she'd say, "Uh, I'll take these this dozen kids." Yeah, give them to me, and they were like, "Okay," because then we don't have to watch after. Yeah, you don't have to take care of kids. kids. Yeah, and so they didn't care at this point. They were just like, "All right, less work for us." Yeah, to to do. So they would bring them in, and she she has a lot of great quotes. But basically, they were in these bunk beds that were very similar to like Auschwitz, and they were always just hunched over, and they were starving and malnourished, and they all had this like a horrible lice. So she would bring them in. 
with that that other Mennonite woman and some other associates, and yeah, she would just walk right there and, and say, "All right, give me the kids, bring them back," and they'd shave their heads and clean spread them, their lice give them no, food, yeah, spread the lice. <laughs> And it became kind of this rehab facility for kids, essentially. Yeah. They'd get them back to being healthy. And then she, she always said they wanted to, she wanted to give them as normal a childhood as possible. Mm-hmm. So she would give them chores and read them books and listen to the radio and, like, try to give them a normal life. Yeah. But, and, and that was even involving the parents who were also refugees, so they couldn't actually like take care of the kids there was no work and they were just trying to survive so the parents would actually just come to the Show orphanage up. to spend time with their kids hell yeah and then go and work so it, it was this super essential service it's such that a you symbiotic relationship in yeah such a terrible time exactly and and they she she just she did that for a long time but as the protections for children kind of started to break down um, she started to bring in, you know, otherwise healthy Jewish children or like th- she would just bring in Jewish children so that the parents could go hide or try to get money or try to get out of the country yeah, and then come back for the kid or so wh- whatever it's, it's, it was. Yeah. It's hard as hell to hide when you have Yeah. It's, it's two hard to kids, flee a country yeah. when you got two kids on Two you kids know? and one of them's an infant. But you if know? you can it's get like, one of you out of the country and get papers for the rest of you, then you yeah. can just come back and, just and go. ship them out. So she starts, you know, making more connections with the underground groups that I was talking about, and she meets Mary. Okay, hell yeah. And Mary starts to visit the orphanage regularly because she's got the intel. You know, she's traveling all over France all the time, so she hears stuff. Uh, She gives them intel, she gives them warnings, like if she hears that they're going to be raided or anything like that so that they have time to hide the Jewish kids. And she, she was just, Mary was just so, like, honed in on what was really going on more than most people in Europe yeah. at this time that she she even said like hey if they get to these camps they're going to be dead like you know you we can't let them do this all right here's my connections here's some of these connections it's suspected she even may have taken children from Lois's orphanage to the mountains in her Damn, trunk really? so like they they became you know as close to friends as you could yeah. During this, you know, working in in underground resistance, they basically just trying to take care of kids. They fell into the resistance, which is cool. I think yeah. that's a cool idea. I mean, realistic, they were they were part of the resistance before. Yeah, <laughs> the resistance yeah. fucking exactly. Like, we're like, hey, you're with us. Yeah, and Lois even she she said probably hundreds of kids. Like it's impossible to know how many because they weren't keeping track. Like they didn't yeah. care. They weren't oh, like keeping dude. tallies, but probably easily hundreds of kids and there were even times when like the local police the local police in nazi occupied areas were always the tool of the ss or the gestapo yeah because uh it's nothing new but and it still goes on but the police are just a tool of the state and when the state becomes nazi they become tools of the nazis who the fuck would have ever expected that yeah so there, there was this one you know story where there were these three kids three jewish kids and the Gestapo and the SS knew they were in the orphanage. Uh-huh. And so the cop shows up with paperwork saying, I'm going to deport these guys. And Lois basically stalls him so long, he gives up. Damn. I have no idea how she did it. But she stalls the cops for long enough 
that they say this isn't fucking worth it (laughs) and they leave they just get frustrated (laughs) he's like jesus i'll go just stop talking yeah like hell yeah what a fucking multiple times she she would face off face to face against gestapo and police because what are they gonna do yeah like they're they're already in a very unstable region yeah like it puts a target on their back you know damn that's impressive i love that yeah if I mean, they were both extremely smart women, but if Mary was the brains, then Lois was the brawn. Yeah. Like, she stood up. Hell yeah. But they both have awesome qualities. So, Lois even had the the forethought to um, to think, okay, something bad might happen to me. This war keeps getting worse. You know, something, something bad might happen. Um, even though she's an American, you know... A, I don't, yeah, the Americans weren't really in the war yet. Not, not really. So, but she, she knew something might happen. So there was even a plan in place. It's, it's, uh, it's suspected, I should say, you know, it's not a written plan, so we don't really know. But basically, if she were to disappear, if something happens to her, then she would, then Mary's network would take the kids, disperse them and hide them. All the kids in the orphanage. Oh, wow. Just like a. He's like, all right. That one's the gone, the kids button. leave. Yeah. yeah. Which is uh, really good, because in 1942, American and British uh, soldiers storm North Africa, which brands Lois as an enemy alien, and she's picked up by this Gestapo, but oh, shit. because she's not, she hasn't been caught, yeah. they were just like, oh, refugee orphanage. They didn't know. Mm-hmm. So she was just, she was basically kept in uh, hotel rooms for two years. Oh, okay. That's what they would do with enemy aliens, non-combatants, and things. Really, they, so they would just shuttle them from hotel to hotel Damn. until she was used in a prisoner exchange. And the the Americans were like, "Yeah, throw her in. We'll give you some some German diplomats that we have." Probably they, not they even realizing her. who she was. Yeah, but they treated her like a diplomat. Like they gave her diplomatic. Oh, okay. Then never mind. Wow. Like treatment, but I I still don't know why. I haven't been able to figure out yeah. why they treated her so well. Huh. I'm th- I'm thinking it's just because she was a Mennonite who established an orphanage. Like I I think that's yeah. all they knew. I think she's been flying under the radar so well that they just thought that oh she's harmless. Let's just treat her well. Yeah. You know, and get her out of here because hmm. she you know she wouldn't shy away from German kids. Yeah. There weren't a lot in that area of France, but she didn't care who the kids were. She would bring in everybody. Interesting. So I I still don't know why, but in 1944 she was she was exchanged back to the U.S. And I I kept finding more and more and more about these people and about more people who risked, you know, everything to help kids in this area. Yeah. And, well, all over Europe. But specifically in this area, I found, like, letters between different women talking about, like, what's going on. Like, between Mary and this other person and this other person was also talking to Lois and just different communications about everything from, hey, I think they're killing people in the camps, to, uh, hey, do you have a coloring book? You got, you got like, coloring, color yeah. pencils, or do you have, like... Uh, have some supplies for the kids. Yeah, some supplies. Hey, let's get some clothes. Hey, do you have a size whatever? Like, it became very, not mundane, but, like, they, they really focused on giving these kids as much a normal life as possible, even if they were only there for a week before getting shuttled off. That's awesome. I feel yeah. like I could be wrong, but I feel like um, 
a lot of the women that made like such a big difference were so successful because they were initial like immediately discounted because they were women. Exactly. Like this is you got to realize this is a time period where like a lot of women just don't have those equal rights like at all. Yeah, and a lot of women don't have an education yeah, at they're, all. They're just looked down upon like it's just Oh, yep, just another woman in a hospital, probably a nurse, and it's like, no, this lady's fucking running this, this, this shit. This lady has a master's degree yeah. in French linguistics and was going into economics before this. Like, yeah. yeah they were she, so she, discounted that they were able to fly under the radar. I love it. I think it's, like, it's such an interesting and just kick-ass approach, oh, yeah. honestly. Like, I, I, I'm about it. I fucking love this stuff. Oh, it, it's so good, like... They they were immediately discounted so much so that they were looked over as yeah. as uh, you know potential perpetrators of resistance movements. Yeah, and they there were a lot of people who were just they were just hey uh, do you got that recipe to make a shitload of bread with nothing <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. what do we do about this because one of the one of the children later on I think in like the seventies or the eighties wrote about Lois. Not even knowing her name, but remembering that despite the rations and the shitty food, she always made, like, to them it, they were feasts because they were starving mm -hmm. refugees. But these amazing yeah. meals that were so creative and different all the time. And she was just super creative with it, which is cool. super cool. And yeah, they, they would exchange books and educational materials to try to get them some level of schooling, even if they're just going to be there for a month. They're going to read them books. They're going to teach them stuff. Yeah. Which is really cool. Damn. And they got away with this just by hiding in plain sight. By just, they could talk about this because she worked for a children's organization and this yeah. lady has uh, an orphanage. It would be so a they normal, didn't have to hide. yeah, it's a normal fucking phone call. Exactly. Um, but back to Mary, um, you know, they're they're doing all these exchanges and stuff. Suddenly, the Gestapo starts looking into Mary. In 1943, she's shuttled probably hundreds of kids. Yeah. Again, nobody's keeping track, but it's estimated it's hundreds of children. And she gets arrested by the Gestapo on suspicion of aiding the escape of Jews and espionage. Oh, no. And she gets imprisoned. She's in, in a Gestapo prison for six months. Oh, God, I thought you were going to say six years. I was like, how the fuck no, no. did that line up? Luckily, <laughs> six months, because... There were some weird, again, just like Lois, there were some weird politics around this lady where she's an Irish national. Yeah, in working South France. In South France, working for an American organization. So the Irish consulate in Washington steps in. I see. And gets her out of prison. <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but did some diplomatic shit, got her out of prison, and her family basically says, come on, come back, like, come home to Ireland. Like, this is, holy shit, you, you were just in an SS prison. Like, yeah. come on. Jesus. And she says, nah. And she stays in what? southern France through the rest of the war. Damn. Continuing to help children, smuggle children. She couldn't do the, the regular route, but she still worked with the different uh, groups and just kept helping people until after the war. Damn, dude. She got that fucking immunity token on her back. Yeah, I don't, sure. I don't know how she got, like, it, it must be a combination of how smart they were and how much they were overlooked. 
that because and they I also get away feel like so much shit. I also feel like back then you're probably not getting women that are just like standing the fuck up. Like I'm not yeah. not to not to say that like women were subservient at the time, but like they were expected to be. Yeah, when when you're Gestapo and you walk into a hospital and you're like we're taking all these kids and some lady walks up to you and she goes no uh, the, do you want do you want no the tea? fuck you're not uh you're going to walk right back out like it's going to catch you off guard and he's like I'll take you too and she's like okay fucking do it then bitch yeah do it like, I'm an american what are you going to do <laughs> yeah i feel like it it would intimidate the ever living fuck out of them it's like getting scolded by your mom and your grandma it's like oh yeah. fuck oh, like, oh. okay i'm really sorry and I feel like that's such a solid, solid approach. Yeah. Damn. And that's I, cool. So originally this episode was just Mary, but then I found the connection to Lois, and and then I found a bunch of other connections to a bunch of other people. But I just think it's so cool that all these women intersected. Yeah. Just working in this region of France, which was crazy. Um, I do have some some post war notes on both these women yeah. because, in general. These women's stories are pretty unknown. These are relatively unknown people. And I love doing the stories yes. that are unknown. Because I feel like even if 150 people now you know, listen to this episode and now know their story, that's 150 more people yeah. who can tell their friends or whatever. And so Lois, uh, you know, she was in a prisoner exchange. She went back to the lecturing and teaching circuit like nothing happened. Like she wasn't just a prisoner of war. And she got her PhD. Damn. So, again, she Jesus. she starts focusing her. Uh, she realizes she can't get go back to Europe, at least not for a for a yeah, little bit. Give it a couple of years. <laughs> uh, so she starts doing humanitarian work in South America, Puerto oh, okay. Rico, and Mexico, and, and further down. Um, she gets married. She to a dude who already has a kid. She becomes a stepmother. Um, she writes a memoir. Just kind of for herself, she writes a couple books about, like, women's role in organized religion and how they should be more, like, active on missions and, and how women... It's called Women women Liberated, but it was oh, okay. liberation through religion and how they should be, you know, equals in religion, essentially, which was... That's, that's pretty spicy for a Mennonite. Yeah. <clears throat> and then uh, in 2005, she died. With her story pretty much unknown. Jesus. But uh, I think it's a lady. Yeah, a lady named Jeanette uh, Kalish. Uh, in, oh, where was it? It was like 2011 or something. I, I didn't write it down. I don't know why. But she was actually a child who Lois saved in her orphanage. Uh, started to petition for her nomination of the Righteous Among the Nations Award by the Yad Vashem, which, if you heard the exclusive, that's the same award mm -hmm. that the Idolvice pirate guy got. Damn, Bartel. Um, the, I so I'm I'm basically reading all of the people who got this award because they're all people who did badass shit. Oh, okay. During World War II. Yeah. <laughs> she was the fourth of five Americans to get this title ever. Jesus. So they are very. Um, particular about who gets it. They have to be able to prove the story, essentially. And they have to be, like, above and beyond what what a normal person would probably do. And I, I think that's pretty accurate. For that's this fair, lady. yeah. Um, and 
a weird synchronicity is kind of with what happened to Mary. Mary went back, or she didn't go back home. She stayed in France, but she got married. She had two kids, and she never told them about what she did with the war. Really? Never. Wow. They knew that she was imprisoned at one point, uh-huh. but anytime she was asked about it, she'd basically say, oh, we all had to suffer some inconveniences in those days. That's a quote, by the <laughs> God way. God damn it. Like, oh, I was in a Gestapo prison for six months. You know, we, we were all, you know, inconvenienced. Jesus. But I mean, I don't blame her. Like, you got to realize, I'm sure with a lot of people in those situations with the resistance, like, they were Do probably we- still fairly paranoid that there were people, I mean, there are still fucking Nazis running around and shit mm-hmm. that they're like, hey, I'm not going to talk about being a part of the resistance. And then some crazed radical was like, just comes after him. I don't, I don't blame her at this, all. This ended up probably being more of just humble. Yeah. Humble, but also I could see it being I could like, see the. But, yeah, yeah, we're not going to get into it. Like, I don't want to blow this blow this up. Yeah, it's like Bartel Schink and his resistance, the, mm-hmm. the people who survived, being so worried and not able to get their stories out there because the judges in Nazi Germany were the same judges after Nazi Germany. Yeah, it's not yeah, like new exactly. people just show up. <clears throat> but she she was even offered pretty within the the couple years after that the Legion of Honor, which is the highest French civilian award. Damn. Around, but she refused refused it. She said, "Nah, I don't want the attention." She literally said, "I, I don't want the attention." Jesus. So her kids spent pretty much all of her life just like not knowing what she did but knowing she did something yeah and she ended up dying in 2002 but in 2013 a dude by the name of ronald friend he was a professor in some college somewhere he starts nominating her and pushing for her award of righteous among the nations which was awarded she's the only irish person at the time of the source which was a couple years ago um so probably still the only Irish person to get this award. Damn. And turns out Ronald was one of the kids she smuggled in her trunk through the Pyrenees. Oh, yeah. He had been looking for her for 70 years. Jesus. He was five years old when it happened. God damn. And I was able to find, like, part of his story, uh-huh. which was really cool, because he, you know, he was five years old. He was Jewish. His parents saw the writing on the wall and fled for Switzerland. His brother and father got over the border, but the mom and him were stopped by by a Nazi. Yeah. So the dad and brother came back. Oof. And they were sent to that camp, the Lois's camp. Oh, The okay. Rivitas or whatever yeah, yeah. it was. And then they were separated. And he ended up, I think he, he pretty much just stayed with the brother, didn't know where the parents went. But the brother was older. The brother kind of had an idea of where they were supposed to go if they could get out of the country. Yeah. And I, it's not implicitly said, but, you know, they were at that internment camp, but they were smuggled out by Mary. So I'm I'm pretty dang sure they were brought in by Lois. Yeah. Mary smuggled them to the, to the Pyrenees Mountains. And then they, they were basically house hopped for a couple of months until they got on a boat. And got to the U.S. in 1944. Jesus. So it was like two years of being just hopped around. God damn. And he tried, he's been trying to figure out everything that happened, the names of the people for his entire life. And this was the missing piece, was Mary El- Elma's mm-hmm. 
because he couldn't figure out who drove him to the drops. Yeah. He just could not figure out who this was. I mean, he was so young at the time, too. Like, shit. And, you know, she never wrote a book. She never... she never came out ...publicized anything. So they... She ended up... He or he ended up working with a a bunch of organizations who are trying to uncover stories like this, mm-hmm. and they they found a letter signed Miss Elms. It was spelled wrong, mm-hmm. but he's like, okay, this is something to go f- go on, yeah. and he figured out that there was a lady by Elma, Elma's name, yeah. and he he basically figured out through those correspondences trying to get like supplies and shit who this lady was. I see. Okay. And he was like, "Ah, oh, it's." He he said, "I I wish I could have met her as an adult." Yeah. And I wish she had been recognized for this immediately, like the invaluable service that she had, uh, for so many children, and she didn't even get any kind of recognition until eleven years after she died. Yeah. Damn. Like, and and she didn't want it. I mean, she didn't want yeah, the yeah, recognition. Yeah. But I still think she deserves to be yeah. recognized. She wasn't. Like, she wasn't actively seeking it out. But yeah, very and, well deserved. That's for sure. Damn. And sometimes I, I get I get a little nerdy with some of the locations. I found the her dad's original like chemist shop, the pharmacy. Uh-huh. It's a McDonald's now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, God damn it. Yeah, but <clears throat> it's it's crazy because it's so easy. And I feel like I did this a lot in in a lot of the earlier episodes where. It's so easy to just focus on one person and one person's contributions. Like it's so easy to look at Schindler and his wife and say, "Yeah, this is the impact they had." But it's so much more valuable to look at the people around them. Yeah, like who the covered entire, for them. Yeah, who helped smuggle the people out? Who helped provide the supplies? Like these the huge system for it. Yeah, systems and networks just. So that this one person, the one person who was actually brave enough to load kids into the trunk and drive across the country. Yeah. To facilitate that one person who has that bravery so that other people who still want to be brave and still contribute but don't want to, like, be that close to the line can still contribute. Yeah, it it's, to make to make a difference, you don't have to be the one driving the fucking car. Yeah, you know? and we usually focus on the one driving on the car, yeah. and that's still deserved, definitely. But I like the the intricate and connectedness. Yeah, that's cool of these different resistance groups. So uh, in two weeks, more uh, underground resistance women. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. No, probably oh, not. That's I'll, wild. I love it. But yeah, it's a. <coughs> oh, I didn't cough this whole episode, right? Wow. There. It's because but, your new Patreon was coming up. Yeah, the the Benadryl's working. It's kicking in. Good. To be so, asleep in no time. Uh, I'll I'll be angry or asleep. <laughs> Why not both? Yeah, let's just do both. Um, but yeah, that's all I've got for you today. Good stuff. Mary Elm Elmes and Lois Gundin. Gundin, not bad. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in. It's a it was a short but very, very sweet episode today. Uh, and if you're interested in a story that's really fucking close to what this one was, but a pretty pretty interesting story nonetheless. It's, it's this mixed with the Warriors. Yeah. Right, yeah. This but, like, child gangs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then check us out on Patreon. AJ's exclusive was last month, April's. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a... It's 
a fucking ride. So hop on there, check it out. Uh, we have we do an additional episode a month, uh, some sloppy seconds, some additional content. Check us out on there. At least click on the link below. Uh, find us on Instagram as well. But for Patreon, we got people to recognize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so we've got the board. Uh, Mini D, Toddle Waddle, and Weston. Uh, they, you know, they, they make the decisions. They they do the mandatory penis inspection day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to get in on that, you know, feel free to become yeah. a chairperson. Hop in. And, of course, we've got uh, Abby, AJ's third nut, Thomas, Dark Runner, D's Nuts, and Lara Ravo. Um, thank you guys so much for uh, supporting us and letting us keep doing this show onto yeah. perpetuity. Yeah, <laughs> we, you guys are fantastic. We've, uh, you know, not a slight hype because most people don't listen this long. But uh, we were able to use some of the Patreon funds for some fun shit that will benefit you, the yeah. listener, very June. soon. Keep an eye out in about a month uh, before our break. We're going to be announcing something big that's that's rolling out. We're, we've been pretty excited about it. We've oh, wanted so to do hyped. it for almost four years now. Yeah, but we haven't had the money yeah. and the time. And but the you guys content. made it happen, so thank you. So mm -hmm. uh, update your addresses. Make sure everything's up to date on there because some cool shit's going to roll out. Uh, we're going to roll it out to all of our patrons, even if you just barely subscribe. Yeah, you'll get all the, yeah, we'll send all the shit out. that's going to happen. Uh, and as always, if you guys ever have any show suggestions or, I don't know, memes, music, TV shows, movies, uh, you just want somebody to talk to or whatever, by all means, reach out to us on Instagram at Pointo Pressure or email us at PPDNAJ. We'll catch you next week.